Welcome to Next Economy Now. The goal of this podcast series is to highlight the leaders who are taking a regenerative, bioregional, equitable, democratic, racially just, and whole systems approach to creating the new economy. I'm Ryan Honeyman, a partner at Lyft Economy. My guest today is Peggy Ayers. Peggy is the author of the award-winning Ancient Spirit Rising, Reclaiming Your Roots and Restoring Earth Community, a survey of social justice, decolonization, nature, spirituality, earth emergent healing, and the holistic principles of sustainable living. Peggy self-identifies as a Celtic animist, and she is an advocate for the recovery of authentic ancestral wisdom and traditions for all people. She lives in the countryside on the outskirts of Petersborough, Ontario, Canada, on a hilltop with views reaching for miles in all directions. Peggy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ryan. I'm so glad to be here. And Peggy, what is the native indigenous land you're on? I admittedly skipped over because I wanted you to pronounce it because you're probably better at pronouncing the land you're on. Right. So I'm on the land of the Mississauga Ojibwe, and I'm quite fortunate. There's a lot of indigenous presence in this area. We have three First Nations quite close to where I live. They're called reserves in Canada, not reservations. And so there's a lot of open invitation to come to different cultural events. And we also have Trent University in the area, which is the first university in North America to have an Indigenous Studies department. So I'm kind of in a wonderful area with a lot of uh, First Nations culture. Quite a blessing. Awesome. And I'm here on Coast Miwok land in uh, San Rafael, California. I'm curious if you could tell me a bit about your background and how you first got interested in the work you're doing today. Right. So I've sort of been integrated into First Nations community. I was living on a First Nations reserve, but I also had many friends and associates over the years. It's been a number of decades now. And there's an elders gathering that takes place once a year at the university. And I guess it was about 12 years ago, I heard one of the elders say, that everyone needs to return to their own Indigenous knowledge. And this statement just really struck me in a huge way. And it sent me down a path of research and also my own experiences shifting kind of what I had known about First Nations community. And it it all really changed when I started writing. So the book took three years to write. And it's really delving into, well, where is our indigeneity located as non-Native people? And why is there no value placed on that? And why in uh, the different movements we do see in terms of alternative spiritualities, we have paganism, um, Wicca, there's Celtic reconstruction. And I, uh, I was looking at those movements and they didn't seem to be going, you know, far enough in terms of really delving into what an indigenous knowledge would actually look like. So it was like, it started off as a lot of answers I was seeking for my own knowledge. And then as I kept uh, working and working on those questions, it turned into a very large book. (laughs) It has like 650 footnotes. And uh, it's become really a good reference uh, for people that they're trying to shift away from any sort of cultural appropriation in their work and what a genuine ancestral practice might look like. So it's been quite a journey. I love it. And I will say that I one of the reasons I actually heard about you from one of the co-founders of the White White Awake course. Oh um, right, called, yes. yeah, 
before we were white. And I think, you know, there have been folks, I would say, on this podcast who have spoken about, you know, white supremacy culture, appropriation, um, you know, decolonization. And I think what you're bringing is unique around actually not just pointing to those as problematic, which of course they are, but also and sort of nudging folks to reconnect with European indigenous knowledge. And I'm wondering if you could give folks a sense of like, what is European indigenous knowledge? They may never even heard Europe and indigenous in the same sentence. So just, yeah, just kind of frame that concept for folks. Well, yes, I think it just points to how we lost that indigenous knowledge, which, you know, every human group had at one point. So the long years of colonization in Europe, how that pattern came with us to the Americas, and we lost so much in the process. Even when we were in Europe, we still carried, you know, fragments, even though colonization had been going on for a long time in Europe. But in the New World, we sort of repeated that pattern because it was so ingrained in us as Europeans. and. It's something we really have to notice today. We are the generation that is working hard to, you know, uncolonize these patterns. It really starts with, you know, the way we think, the assumptions we make, the behaviors we still carry. And that's what was so shocking to me when I really looked deeply into, you know, the pagan community, the wicked community, the the shamanic community, all the different alternative alternative spiritualities, which is a really good thing. I mean, we do need that, right? We can't continue to follow down the path of a monotheistic religion. That's certainly a dead end. So <laughs> alternative religions are really, really important. But what was showing up was still a lot of, you know, subtle racism, a lot of stereotypes, you know, a lot of ableism, um, white, white privilege, people not quite knowing what that was. And I just found that really shocking that even in the alternative world of spirituality, all of these colonial patterns that the that the mainstream was was holding were still being held by the so-called alternative people. So there's quite a few chapters in my book about unpacking uh, New Age spirituality, and uh, some people find the, find some of the comments humorous. There is some really funny parts in there. Just kind of the um, oblivious how some people can be so oblivious to their own privilege and some of the really shocking statements that some people have come out with to sort of defend, you know, their shamanic practice, because it's really hard to let go. I mean, if you've built something up over, you know, a decade or, and you have quite a following, you know, how can you just turn, turn around and, you know, do something different? So it, it's quite hard and it's, Something people really don't want to let go of if they've been appropriating for quite a, a long time. So, but this is the challenge, right? It's still quite harmful and it isn't really genuine. I mean, where is your own indigeneity located? It certainly isn't in taking from other traditions. That isn't your own tradition. And this is a huge argument. I mean, it just hasn't stopped. It's been ongoing for many, many years, and I'm sure it'll keep going for many, many years to come. But, you know, what is an authentic tradition? So this is what my book, you know, tries to address and sort of gather together the threads of what that would look like. And of course, the ambiguity of it all is we're, we're not even in our homelands anymore. We're here in the Americas. 
on stolen land. So that just adds an extra layer of complication. But with good ways of doing things, good discussion, good awareness, uh, knowing uh, good protocol and respect, you know, for the spirits of the land and for the First Nations, there's certainly ways of going forward with that. So it's not all doom and gloom. You know, there's quite a bit of, of hope as well. In your bio, it says you're a, a Celtic animist. Can you give folks a little more? What is that? And what, what does that involve? In yeah, terms? I noticed not too many people are using that self-identifier. I just love it. I guess since I was a child, I had that mystic experience in where the whole world sort of lights up. It's an, it's called an eco-mystic experience. There's been quite a few books and, you know, authors have covered that, practitioners. So I had one of those experiences at age eight. Anyway, I've been totally immersed in nature, you know, my whole life. And animism for me uh, really describes my, you know, my belief system, where I go to find the sacred, how there's this interspecies communication, inter other communications with elements, creatures, Everything in nature is speaking. So I've really had that all my life. So, you know, I was an animist. And then I thought, well, to honor my own heritage, because it's a bit of a blend. I have English heritage through my father's side. And then my matriarchal line stretches back to the Highlands and Scotland. So I know people don't really like using that umbrella term Celtic because there are six Celtic nations and you should really be uh, differentiated. We shouldn't really you know, blend them together like a blanket statement like Celtic, but I'm sorry, there wasn't really any other word that was concise enough. But I think Celtic is useful in some context. So it's working for me right now. Anyway, (laughs) I like Celtic animist. It seems to define who I am. Yeah, I like it as well. You know, I, my family is also, I guess, you know, Scotch, Irish, English, Welsh, you know, farther back it goes to like the norman the norman invasion you know like the celtic side of the other side of you know like in france etc what are the other tribes of celtic do you i mean you don't have to name them all but just like what is the distinction between them just yeah, like I was just gonna say that's really a blend like you've almost got all six in your, in your heritage so the word celtic would be really appropriate for you <laughs> i think there's whales oh i can't do this off the top of my head <laughs> You're gonna have to edit, edit this part out. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, I no kind of forget at the moment the six the six Celtic nations, but they're so obvious: Ireland, England, Scotland, Wales. What are the other two? Cornwall. I forget the six anyway. Yeah, Manx, Isle of Manx, or something. Right. Um. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> I um. would have reminded myself had I known it would come up. <laughs> no, no problem. Can we talk about Celt and so going from Celtic animus, there's a movement of Celtic reconstructionism. And I'm curious, like, what are the specific practices or just can you give us more information on some of the like I think for me, for example, I'm like, yes, I know I'm interested in reconnecting with my Celtic roots. And then where does that go from there? Like, what what does one do if they're trying to actually reconnect to some of those practices? Well, exactly. And it, it can be very painful. I'm not one to really stress that this is really the only way to, you know, find an authentic spirituality. But if you can 
you know, access to your ancestry and you feel comfortable with certain groups in, in Europe, you know, by all means, because it is sort of, you know, who we are at a DNA level, our ancestors are being honored. So it is a really good way to go. For some people, it's very, very painful. They don't want to face some of the trauma or whatever happened in their um, heritage. So I understand that. So, you know, it's not um, the same way forward for everyone. But if you do choose a heritage and like, you were telling me about your own heritage, sometimes a blend. So this is another thing that keeps coming up. Well, do I, you know, reconstruct my Irish side or do I, you know, work on my Scottish side? And again, you know, sort of you have to think of what speaks to you the most, what draws you. Is there one that is more meaningful? It, it can be very difficult. Or you could, you know, pursue both heritages. I don't know if you could work on three, but uh, two, I think, is is doable. So it's just getting focused. I mean, there's a lot of um, tendency in the New Age world to really spread out and take in things that aren't really authentic. I see this happening um, in so many spaces. So the whole idea of re reconstruction is to really, really focus. So the language, the folklore, you know, through the archaeology, the actual history of that specific group, and the, um, you know, the migrations they may have had. So it's just getting really, really specific and focusing. You know, you could spend 20 years just on the recovery of your own particular ancestry. And many people are not willing to do that. I mean, it's so appealing to jump around from, you know, modality to modality. And um, there's also a lot of um, uh, erroneous information out there, like Celtic, chakras and you know com the combination of, of different new age practices sort of blended into celtic so you have to be really discerning a lot of it is not really authentic whatsoever so there's a few um authorities that if you follow certain folks then you're you are actually you know uh, receiving the authentic knowledge uh, michael newton is is one uh, a few others i could mentioned oh, yeah. so it's we just, had michael on the podcast yes i know that yeah. so just being That's very cool. discerning and um the pagan the irish pagan school keeps producing lists of who is a verifiable celtic teacher and who is sort of making things up type of thing so yeah you just sort of really have to um go with the authentic sources and it's better you know you can start off on your own but it's always really wonderful to be doing these kinds of um, this kind of work in community. So if you can find a group in your own region that is also wanting to recover their Celtic heritage, you know, that can be a real, a real blessing as well. Absolutely. Yes. I can admit to a lot of fits and starts doing it solo. So I think community is, is going to be better. Um, yeah. It's more inspiring and you can set deadlines and <laughs> yeah, make, yeah. make some good progress with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think what you're also pointing to is, quote unquote, white people. Like we have a, we have a genuine loss, like a genuine trauma disconnection from our, you know, ancestry and practices. And I think when we as white folks see, for example, Native Americans or First Nations in Canada, other indigenous folks, there's like a, wow, they're connected to their people. And you're sort of like, you're yearning for that. And that can kind of lead to the appropriation, 
right? Of so, can you kind of talk about like that? Just the um, the trauma and like why we're feeling as white folks disconnected and why we might look to indigenous groups, sort of, I guess, Turtle Island indigenous groups to sort of fill that gap. Yeah, that's exactly what's been happening. And, you know, there's to our benefit, I mean, I mean, it's a kind of a good thing. There is this yearning and that tribalism or indigeneity is still alive within us or we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be um, at all interested in first station. So it's actually an affirmation of how we are all, you know, people of the earth. It's just been a really long, long time since European people were actually living within that kind of a worldview. So it's really uh, to our benefit that we even have that yearning. We have to really um, be happy about that. So that's really the first step that we really find that that's not in our lives. We're missing that. We're yearning for that. And there's so many ways to reclaim that into our lives. And of course, we're attracted to First Nations. I mean, they've only been disconnected from the heritage for maybe two, three hundred years, maybe only a hundred years. So it's something that's not that, you know, deep in history that they can work at reclaiming and recover fairly quickly. So we actually, as um, European people, have to do the same work. It's just uh, there's so much more time that has passed. But there's really no difference between a First Nations person, you know, reclaiming what was lost through colonialism and a white person reclaiming what was lost through colonialism. And it's very hard. I mean, it's a, a lot more time has passed, but there's so many fragments available. And especially with all the research we can do these days, I mean, through the internet, through people that are doing this work ahead of us, the ones that have already been spending decades on this work. There are there is so much out there in terms of resources that, you know, it can be really, really an amazing process to delve into. You know, I have a, I have a question too that I've been struggling with, which is, you know, I've sort of been on this journey of reconnection to my own community or my ancestors, you know, from things like Luckily, one of my in-laws is sort of obsessed with Ancestry.com and sort of, oh, do you want your whole family history? Like, So she, she actually did my mom's side and my dad's side for us as like a gift of like this binder. It's like really thick. <laughs> and, you know, it, it shows the ancestry all the way back to like the 1400s um, and like Wales and Scotland. And, and I think part of me was, and I've also done, you know, researched into slaveholding, you know, in our family, because I, you know, when you go back seven generations, I think you're related to 8000 people or something like that. So if anyone if anyone has questions about whether they might have had, uh, you know, enslaved folks in their family, it probably did because you're probably related, you're, you might be related to 8000 people. But I, th I think like, maybe what I've been searching for is like, I thought before I did this work, like, you know, getting connected or like seeing my family lineage and like learning more about Celtic ideas or, you know, at least like surfacing the slaveholding in my own family and <clears throat> trying to reconcile with it. Like, I guess there's part of me that was like, maybe I'll be like happier or like, I, I just was sort of, I don't know if it's made sort of a huge, like, I guess I'm like looking for something and I haven't seen like, ah, now I'm fully connected and integrated with my people and my you know local area. And so I don't know. I, Maybe you have some advice for me of like, is that 
does that just mean you need to keep digging deeper or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but I'm, I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are on that. Well, I think that's our dilemma because we're, we are not in our homelands. We're not in the places that mm. shaped these cultural traditions. And so we're actually in a diaspora. We're transplanted to a completely different continent. And our challenge is to the best of our ability, we're going to try to recover, you know, these cultural practices, the, the cycle of the seasons, the wheel of the year that the Celtic people have always followed. We can honor our celebrations like Beltane and, and Samhain, and we can do a lot of the work here. The landscapes are similar in some places as they may look in the UK or the British Isles or anywhere else in Europe, but it still is not the actual homeland where these cultural practices arose from. And that's how a culture is created. It always arises from the land. So we're always going to have that ambiguity and that sort of a disconnect, you know, as European people. Um, I think that we just have to focus on loving um, nature, being really connected to the land and taking responsibility for reintegrating as a human being, you know, with nature and sort of, you know, that's really our only choice I've come to understand is just to really revere nature and um, nature doesn't know what where we're from really or what uh, <laughs> ethnicity we are. And I've had so many magical experiences in nature. I know that nature embraces me I know that I'm loved by the natural world. There's that re reciprocity. So I know that in my heart, my mind, my soul, my body, like I know that as a, as a human being. So there is no doubt that, you know, we continue doing this work, but there's always going to be that ambiguity. It, it is quite, uh, it can be very difficult to um, reconcile, you know, because there's been so much harm and our ancestors, um, in uh, Europe, plus here in the Americas, um, there's been so much harm done. And we're so like, there's so many things my own ancestors have done that I am not proud of. And there's always this feeling inside me, well, I'm going to reject those particular ancestors for all the horrific things that they did. And so I sort of do that. And then I sort of look for the good, which I sort of feel through DNA memory, through epigenetics. I remember it, on a deep soul level, what it was like uh, when I did have some ancestors were, that were part of the Druid tradition. And so it's it's a discernment. I sort of have to, you know, align myself with those ancestors and the harmful ancestors I don't really have to align with. I have to take responsibility, though, to, <clears throat> to be that new kind of human being that Earth is asking of us. Like we're being... Um, it's actually we're being, de it's a demand <laughs> right now. We've got, you know, more than any other time in history, we have to start realigning ourselves with the natural world. So whoever is doing that from whatever ethnicity, you know, that is the work. And there's this whole um, work being done also about healing your wounded ancestors and somehow the work that we do will be also healing to them. But I, I'm sort of still investigating that. And I find that a bit uh, questionable because if they did hold damaging worldviews of racism and white supremacy and this Christian dominance, and, you know, they're the premier being on the planet, you know, the human-centric values that they held, uh, they may never uh, overcome those values. So, you know, maybe many of the ancestors 
my own ancestors, I am just going to walk away from. I see no other way, really. <laughs> yeah. And I'm curious, since the book has come out, I think it was 2017 is when the book came out? Well, it's 2016, but it's 2016. just- yeah, it's very, very uh, timely still. People are still picking it up yeah. and going, oh my gosh, like this is something I really need to, you know, find out about. So yes. it still keeps chugging along. <laughs> I definitely can echo uh, picking it up, you know, in the last six months and it feeling very relevant. So I'm curious if you have any firmly held beliefs that you've changed since you've written the book. There is a, a section in the book about allyship, and that's a really good framework. It came out of the academy. People were questioning, well, how do we work well with First Nations people? And that seems to be changing a lot. Uh, even um, First Nations, some First Nations folks, I mean, it's not a monolith. There's a huge <laughs> diversity of opinion, you know, that allyship theory isn't really working anymore. So it keeps changing as as time goes on. And there's just so many shifting ways to be in, in society. Many First Nations people are benefiting from um, colonizer ways, and they don't see the point of allyship. And I don't know. It's just, it's very complicated right now. It's quite a labyrinth of um, what is working and what isn't working. And spaces I see where people are coming together and re really sharing so deeply that allyship theory just seems kind of silly. <laughs> and so it's definitely changing quite a bit. But I think the basic protocols, like if something like you're going to have a festival or a concert on First Nations land and you're near First Nations community, you know, those kinds of protocols are still ex extremely helpful. But the deferring to the First Nations as always being the expert and always being the holder of all the wisdom is sometimes not exactly going to be accurate in the future, I think. I think there's some going to be more of a sharing, which is probably a good thing. You know, you, you wrote something in the book that I want to read for folks that I think is really powerful. You wrote, I thoroughly despise the Eurocentric racist practices directed at First Nations and other folks of color. Yet I refuse to perpetuate the same weapons of hate and discrimination or to continue the practices of divide and conquer that we have all learned from empire. And then you also wrote, I'm not sure if this is directly in the same section, but you also wrote, it probably takes more courage to choose restorative justice, forgiveness and reconciliation over violent rage. We need to rise above the rhetoric and hate and value the dignity and divinity that lies within each human being. And I think the reason I pulled those out is because it's something I've struggled with and I know a lot of other white anti-racist folks struggle with, which is that we have like so much anger towards other white people or like people who quote unquote don't get it, et cetera, et cetera. And so could you say more about how you've cultivated this sort of, you know, it sounds like more of a loving practice and, and your refusal to practice the divide and conquer? Well, it is very difficult. And I wrote that to maybe soften the blow in the book because I had so many uh, harsh things to say about white supremacy and how it's so deeply ingrained in, in so, in, you know, all we, I would just say all white people. So it, it's just so difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, so have you been able to, how have you been doing on that own, on that practice yourself? <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, you know, call out culture has been very toxic. But on the other hand, I haven't really found a better way. Like white people need to be informed and need to be educated. 
some of these harsh realities, there is no soft way to explain to people, to inform people. So I don't know really what the middle ground is still. I'm still sort of searching for that. If I tell a white group or a white person about all the horrific legacies of their own ancestry, there's really no no nice way to tell them that. So you just sort of come right out with it. Or, and if you don't, you're being a neoliberal because then you're sort of always sort of, you know, with the rosy glasses, you know, making it all very, uh, let's just sweep part of this under the rug. So I just, I've sort of come to the conclusion you really have to be totally honest and uh, help people, you know, just, I say, don't take it personally. That's the whole um, aspect here. You know, you weren't alive 250 years ago. You were not part of the people that created empire. You're here now. So, you know, don't take it so personally. You know, <laughs> I know you have white skin, but, um, there's many ways to understand that on the wheel, like there's a sacred wheel of the peoples of the world and we all have our gifts. The white people have, uh, gifts as well. And it's in indigenous, uh, prophecies. So, I mean, we're all part of the sacred circle. So these ways of feeling, you know, guilty or it's all kind of a waste of time, really. You just have to um, not take it so personally. It's a bit of a shocking to understand how bad white supremacy is. I mean, when I first learned about it, I was in a state of shock for about three days because everywhere I looked, everything was white. And I, it was I was completely discombobulated, but... And, you know, in a state of horror, like it was so shocking to me. But after about three days, I sort of got over it. And I'm like, well, you know, I didn't, I wasn't there at the time it was created. My, you know, my goal now is to sort of take responsibility to change what, what I can about that dynamic. So that's sort of where I'm at. And um, I hope other people sort of get over the whole emotional reaction. You know, if you can just um, remember that it's systemic. It was in place long before we were born. And really, as white people, just take responsibility to to shift the paradigm, you know, just to make those changes. So uh, work toward that collective liberation. But don't worry about all the emotional stuff, like the guilt isn't going to help. You know, recentering yourself with excuses isn't going to help. <laughs> you know, there's so many ways that white people want to derail the conversation so they don't just have to face that head on, but there is no other way. I mean, these atrocities happened, but our own our own ancestors did it. <laughs> we just have to sort of, you know, own up to it, but don't get too emotional about it. It's not going to help. <laughs> That's have the only noticed, advice I can offer, right? <laughs> have you noticed more receptivity, you know, after the summer of 2020 to today than, than maybe before that? To uh, more receptivity? Yeah, receptivity to having conversations about you know, white supremacy and, you know, reconnecting to indigenous European knowledge, et cetera. Like some of the concepts in the book, have you found people are more open to it? Of oh, late? yes. I think it's a really yeah. growing movement. It was maybe like 10 years ago. It was very small. And then over the last six or seven years, there's been so many people, you know, moving into that knowledge. It's really a quite a growing of um, area right now, which is really exciting. And people are more open to, to discussions. I would say it depends on the demographic. There's a certain, uh, people, uh, maybe in their sixties, seventies or eighties, and they will be the ones that'll just want to fight you, you know? Oh, no, no, there's no such thing as white supreme, you know, there's no such thing as white privilege. And, 
oh no, I'm not a settler. And you know, so <laughs> there's just so many derailments. And some in the younger generation too, but it's kind of a, a generational thing, really. But I do see in, you know, people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, it's fantastic. It's just, it's it's out in the open and they are over it. So <laughs> they're into the responsibility phase. So really exciting. There's still quite a bit of education to be done, though. And, you know, being in alignment with your own indigeneity, if that is the word for it, or being in alignment with your own ancestral traditions is still something. It's really, really important work. Because how are we going to find that sacred circle? How are we going to enter that sacred circle of all people of the earth with enough integrity? We have to know our own tradition. We have to know our own songs. We have to go in there with some sort of ceremony to contribute. Otherwise, we'll remain being an interloper. We'll remain being an appropriator. We'll just be some sort of observer or, heaven forbid, a scholar or an anthropologist. You know, what are we doing in the sacred circle? We have to come in there. Um, as part of our own gr earth grounded, you know, ancestral tradition. And then we're truly, you know, part of that circle. If folks are interested and, you know, we'll, we'll get to sort of where folks can buy your book and some of the resources you have on your site. And actually, I should say, you have a lot of resources for folks. <laughs> so you've definitely oh, done your, your homework. <laughs> I'll just keep adding to it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Is there any off the top of your head for, folks interested in learning more either authors or books or, or thought leaders who are sort of authentically reconnecting with European indigenous knowledge. Like you, you mentioned Michael Newton. Are there other folks or books that come to mind? Absolutely. So I have uh, on my uh, website, which is stonecirclepress.com, there is a category called um, Celtic Reconstruction, and I list quite a few. It's a good bibliography. So like the major teachers, practitioners, academics, and movements are sort of listed on that one page. Um, it doesn't cover, you know, every single book and so on, but I think there's I think there's some links to some other bibliographies. So that's a good starting point would be that one uh, page on my website. And then of course it isn't just Celtic people, it's uh, Nordic, you know, Polish, I um Italian reconstruction, you know, it's all over Europe. It's really um an exciting movement too because it is happening basically everywhere. Yeah. Even in Germany. I mean, <laughs> that is very difficult to think about, but it is. <laughs> yes. So I just, I was so excited. It's just a wonderful, wonderful thing to see happening. Is there anything else you're really excited about right now on a personal or professional level? Well, I'm moving more into actual ceremonies out on the land and earth art. I have a background in fine art. So I'm sort of missing making art. I wrote the book and I've spent the last six years working uh, to promote the book and doing a lot of uh, other writing. So I kind of miss going back and doing my art. So I'm going to start doing that again and combining it with animism and some practices that, uh, you know, people can do, you know, on the land. So I'm putting together some new work that has to do with that. Oh, very cool. Perhaps yeah, it's just what I love. Do what you love. That's what I love. Yeah. <laughs> and... What do you need right now, and how can the listeners help you grow this next economy? Right. Well, I think just more bioregionalism and forming more collective uh, food 
co-ops, alternative currencies in different communities. But that is, has not been my whole theoretical framework. I'm more focused on the uh, behaviors and the attitudes that underlie our consumer behavior. I mean, we can work with new economies, but if we haven't uncolonized the patterns we have from living within a capitalist system, we may get into the danger of sort of repeating some of those things. So my work basically focuses more on um, unpacking those attitudes of privilege we carry around, the the self-identification with things in the consumer world, perhaps, you know, entertainment, sports teams. These things are um, really not helpful for us going forward into the future. It's just consumer behavior in general. Um, narcissism is wrapped up into that. Uh, the me, me, me generation, you know, the addiction to shopping, um, just having the expectation that all this, all these material goods are always going to be available to us. So there's a whole range of dysfunctional, I think it's just dysfunctional. <laughs> People may argue, but uh, sort of dysfunctional, you know, behaviors we've been so immersed in in this society, you know, since we were children. So just sort of, you know, unpacking those beliefs before we um, can really do the new economy in a good way. We have to sort of change our thinking in a huge way. And you mentioned it before, but could you give folks a website again where they can learn more about your work? And also, I don't know if you have any social media or other links or class things you want to throw out. Right. Well, it's uh, stonecirclepress.com. That's my main website. That would take you into all the other different links and so on. I'm on Facebook a lot. And my book is on Amazon. But basically, the website would carry all the information people need to know. Be the central resource. Okay. Yeah. Stone Circle Press. Yes. And I have been reading the book. And I just want to, you know, again, thank you for for joining because, yeah, I think there's a lot of folks who have noticed that there's a problem. I mean, there's a lot of folks who haven't noticed there's a problem. But of the <laughs> folks noticing there's a problem, I appreciate you for bringing some ideas about ways to, that we can turn to sort of like reconnect and deepen and sort of get some of that, yeah, that feeling of disorientation and shock that like, there is a place to be more rooted in something that's authentic to our people as well. So, so thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about it. Wonderful, Ryan. And thank you for your work. And it really does come back to forming community. That's going to be so important now and in the future. So yes. thank you so much for having me. Okay. Thanks, Peggy. Next Economy Now is a production of Lyft Economy. To listen to all of our episodes, go to lifteconomy.com slash podcast. That's L-I-F-T economy.com slash podcast. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter at lifteconomy.com slash newsletter. Please also rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.